0: Good morning, morning. turning your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. Last week, we heard about Philip the Evangelist and how he depended on the Holy Spirit for his ministry, how he demonstrated the love of the Holy Spirit in his reaching the Samaritans And we saw a great response among the despised Samaritan people. I talked with um, Sam just uh, moments ago, and uh, Sam said, um, you know, I've been around here for a long time, and I've never heard a message on Simon the sorcerer. We're going to hear about Simon this morning. And uh, so you'll be able to say with Sam that uh, that you'd heard a message on Simon. But more importantly, uh, hopefully that you had applied... Truths that God wants us to apply from the example of Simon. So we're going to look at Simon the sorcerer this morning. A careful look at Simon's life will force us to draw a line between true and false repentance. Okay? Which was Simon's? Was it a true repentance or was it false? Did he really turn to the Lord? Or did his life prove otherwise? So let's read Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them, "...that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Simon practiced sorcery, we read in verse 9. Sorcery, uh, dictionary definition of it is the art of the occult. Under the power or supposed power of evil spirits or demons, Simon practiced magic. It wasn't the uh, the tricks that we see the magicians do at uh, Pier Thirty Nine or or um, uh, Great America, but um, these were done in uh, supernatural power, the the superhuman, the paranormal. Simon hung out with the dirty spirits of verse 7. The Lord Jesus calls them unclean. And uh, the Holy Spirit uh, says so in this account. They were unclean, evil. These um, spirits are beings dedicated to the perversion of God's righteousness. To the overthrow of His rule. To the derailing of His plan for Uh, his creatures. Simon would have been well-schooled in fortune-telling, revealing other things known only to the spirit world, casting evil spells on people, protecting others from evil spells. Judging from his reputation in the city of Samaria, he was quite successful. In verse 11, we read that he astonished the people of Samaria. He wowed them. And uh, for a long time, he claimed to be someone great to which the Samaritans could only reply, you are the great power of God. The people of the city heeded him from the street sweeper to the mayor of Samaria. They listened, they hung on his every word and did what he said. Simon had quite a following. Simon would not be totally out of place in the Bay Area today. There are signs of the times. We have um, fortune-telling and palmistry shops in uh, San Leandro, San Lorenzo, Hayward. I've not been around Fremont enough to to see, but uh, yeah, okay. They're in Fremont as well. I was uh, getting in my car a few weeks ago and uh, turned on KCBS and... uh, they were advertising, uh, fortune telling on, uh, nationally syndicated radio, news radio station. And I thought, hold on, let me check that radio station. Is this really KCBS? Yeah, they're advertising, uh, palm reading and such on, uh, on, on the CBS network radio. We have movies about warlocks and wizards, uh, vampires and witches. Uh, I went to, um, Castor Valley Library a few weeks ago, uh, perhaps in preparation for this marriage marriage message. (laughs) And um, I was looking at the display rack in the library and here's um, something that they'd like the kids to respond to called Psychic Encounters. And uh, this woman speaks to spirits and promotes death as simply our next step in life. She will speak about how she knew she was psychic How all of us are psychic and how to know when you've had a psychic experience coming to a library near you. For years, we've been surrounded by the influence of the occult. Uh, I'm going to run through a list and um, you'll recognize uh, many of these as quite common. Astrology, including horoscopes in the newspaper, fortune telling, Ouija board, Crystal balls, uh, crystals that you hang from your uh, car mirror, Halloween characters, seances, magic books, including fiction like um, Harry Potter, computer games. Uh, I've never seen or heard of this one, but uh, it was in Wikipedia. Sorcery is the name of the, um, the computer game. Dungeons and Dragons was a big one from, uh, from the 90s. And palmistry, reading a person's character or future from the lines on his hands. It's commonplace. Its, um, influence is around us. For many, it's harmless fun. But these experiences of the occult are storefronts for a much darker business of demon influence and with the ultimate goal of, uh, demon possession, which we've not seen, uh, overtly in the Bay Area, but uh, I believe the time is coming. God forbids the practice of sorcery in any form. In the book of Leviticus, He says you shall not practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not. Also in Leviticus 19, He says, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. In the next chapter, he says, the person who turns to mediums and and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from my people. In Deuteronomy 18, the Lord identifies communication with the dead, casting spells, soothsaying, consultation with a medium or spiritist as abominations. They are thoroughly hateful to him. This was Simon's world. Enter Philip the Evangelist. Philip preached Christ to the Samaritans. He preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. With the church only a few years old, Philip had seen the resurrected Lord and he was uh, able to give testimony of that personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. day I will never forget in the lives of the Samaritans as they turned to the Lord Jesus. It was matched only by that at Pentecost in Jerusalem when uh, Peter had preached and thousands had, had come to the Lord. Multitudes with one accord heeded Philip's message. It says in verse 14, uh, verse 14 that Samaria had received the word of God. The uh, the turning to the Lord was that uh, that widespread. They saw the miracles that uh, Philip did, authenticating his message from the Lord. Unclean spirits were cast out of many. Many paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Multitudes believed, and men and women were baptized. The despised Samaritans, whom the Jews hated even worse than the Gentiles, were coming to the Lord. The Lord is in the business of saving despised and hated people today, even those locked in the occult. This should encourage the Philips among us to... uh, Uh, to preach the gospel to these with uh, occult influence and uh, should encourage the hearts of uh, others of us who are doing the work of Phillips in uh, bringing the gospel to the lost. The evangelist should not write off those who are steeped in witchcraft and sorcery. But what of Simon? His following started to thin out. He'd uh, hold meetings and... People wouldn't be there. Where'd everybody go? Uh, Simon, they're down the street listening to a Jew named Philip preaching about a man named Jesus who uh, had died and risen again. Well, let's go. Let's go hear this, uh, this evangelist. Simon heard Philip. He saw the changed lives and he desired that change for himself. Simon believed and was baptized and continued with Philip. That word "continued" is interesting. In um, verse thirteen, middle of the verse, this same word in the original is applied to the devoted servants of Cornelius in uh, chapter ten, Acts chapter ten. They uh, waited on Cornelius. They were devoted to him. They uh, they spent uh, the day with Cornelius, and we find. uh, We find Simon doing the same thing with Philip. He continued with Philip. He talked with him, traveled with him, ate and drank with Philip as uh, Philip went about preaching the gospel. The apostles, when they heard of multitudes coming to Christ, they sent Peter and John to help. In his sovereignty and wisdom, God waited until the apostles laid hands on the new believers to impart His Holy Spirit upon them. The imparting of His Holy Spirit with the supernatural signs was evidence to the believing Jews of the genuineness of the Samaritans' faith. Simon must have seemed even more attentive to the others to these supernatural signs as, uh, as the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit so that in um, verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18, Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. It's not going to stay. In verse 19... He said, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. At first blush, Simon's request must have appeared innocent and excusable. But he should have known better. He'd been working with an apostle in the critical stage of the growth of the church. before Even before God's revelation of salvation to the Gentiles, here he was saving Samaritans. And Simon, in his uh, in his lust and his greed, threatened to undermine that entire work. The cash Simon offered, he had probably earned through his sorcery. Undoubtedly, Simon intended to sell this power to others so that they could impart the Holy Spirit and uh, he'd reap a big reward a big cash reward through this practice there was um, there was power here that he could only have dreamed of as a uh, a practice of the magic arts. The sheer audacity and boldness of Simon's request reminds me of an incident in um, numbers twenty five as the nation of Israel was uh, mourning over god's judgment for their uh their spiritual immorality they were uh, joining themselves to the uh the god baal the false god and as they were weeping before uh before the lord uh a man came through the congregation with a midianite girlfriend in tow it was so blatant so uh bold so audacious that uh one of the men rose up and and speared him and her with uh, uh, with a spear. We find that same audacity, that same uh, brashness in Simon's request. It was shameless and irreverent. Simon seemed to be saying to Philip, this is who I am. This is the way I am. Accept me. But we can understand the severity, we can understand the audacity of uh, Simon's request best by looking at the severity of Peter's rebuke. In verse 20, Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. What would it say of God's character if he charged for his benefits through a retailer or a reseller or a middleman? What would this tell us of God's Character, well, the poor would be unable to pay. Obviously, God would be showing partiality toward the rich. The value of a buck. It would be real snobbery. We see examples of this in history. Um, people call it simony. It's the offering of God's benefits for for money. In the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church sold indulgences to sinners for relief from temporal punishment of their sins. Temporal, to me, uh, speaks of this earthly life. They would be spared, um, earthly pain, but in the Catholic theology, they, I think, were really targeting, um, purgatory. That, um, you could purchase, uh, relief from pain and purgatory, an early release, as it were. What does it say of the, the character of God? The church used it as an effective fundraiser because they needed cash. Is God's church so needy that He's willing to ease the punishment of the guilty for cash? Can God's righteousness and justice be regulated by money? In... In 1517, Pope Leo X offered indulgences for those who gave alms to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The aggressive marketing practices in promoting this cause prompted Martin Luther to nail 95 theses on uh, chapel door. He condemned what he saw as the purchase and sale of salvation. I wish that I could assure you this morning that the Roman Catholic Church had stopped that practice. Simon thought that God's benefits could be purchased with money and others have too. Just a few years ago, old neighbors of ours had trouble. Um, The man was divorced and um, he wanted to remarry. And so uh, the way he tells it, he went to the church and he said... uh, I want to remarry. And they said, well, you have to have an annulment. You can't just um, divorce and remarry. So he said, okay, uh, give me an annulment. And the church said, uh, well, that's going to cost you. And uh, <clears throat> when he found out the price, uh, both he and his fiance said, we can't pay that. Offering God's benefits for cash. Christ... Purchased redemption at Calvary by the price of His own blood. With that redemption are all His benefits that He offers us at the price of His life. God doesn't need a reseller. He doesn't need a middleman to collect cash for those benefits. That's stark... That's, uh, that's bold of people to to do that. But what does it mean to us at Calvary Bible Chapel in the year 2011? How does this affect us? What does it mean to, to us to have uh, people trying to purchase the benefits of God? Here are a few applications. Here's a poor soul who thinks he can make a big offering, a big contribution to the, uh, to the chapel offering And uh, get healing for himself or for a loved one. Can he buy God's healing? Someone else lives in an immoral relationship and thinks that by spending his Saturday afternoons ministering to the homeless at a skid row mission, God will overlook his uh, indiscretion. Can he buy God off? Can he buy God's silence? Here's a dear woman who visits her husband hours each day in a nursing home, waiting on him hand and foot, available 24-7, believing that this will surely help earn her soul's salvation. And then uh, a final one. Here's uh, a man who endures all kinds of misbehavior of his wife, thinking that God owes him and will one day repay him Kindness. The answer to all these is that God freely offers His healing, His mercy, His salvation without a price tag because that price has already been paid by Christ. And to, to put a price on it is to devalue the blood of Jesus. you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Peter went on, he said in verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. <clears throat> he said, you have no part with us in God's work because your heart is not right. It's not, uh, it's not running parallel with, uh, with the heart of God. It was terribly foreign to God's heart. Jesus said in response to Peter's satanic suggestion that Jesus not go to the cross, He said, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. This was true of Simon as well. Peter had good discernment. He was an expert in handling the Word of God, the living and powerful Word of God, which is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So he could address Simon in this way. He says in verse 22, Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Simon had repented under Philip's preaching, but it wasn't a real repentance. Simon's repentance was the worldly sorrow that paul talks about in second corinthians 7 it's a remorse it's a feeling bad for getting caught it's a regret for being a punishment and listen very carefully where there is no penalty there is no sorrow the person released from the threat of penalty continues in the way that he was going initially On the other hand, Paul says godly sorrow produces real repentance. I realize that my sin put Jesus on the cross and turn from my sin. That's that's real repentance. Peter said in verse 23, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Bitterness there is... um, referring to a a condition of extreme wickedness. You're poisoned by bitterness. Peter knew Simon was thoroughly corrupt and he told Simon so. Simon was controlled, bound by iniquity. What was Simon's response? We saw the same Peter in um, previous chapters preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. And he had um, accused the Jews of putting Jesus on the cross and crucifying Him. And the Jews knew that. And the Jews cried out, What shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized. And the, uh, the Jews repented of this sin and were baptized About 3,000 responded that day. What was Simon's response? Verse 24, Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. What does God look for in, in uh, confession? Well, first of all, a realization of who I have offended um, David did this so well when he had committed after he committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba, and uh, God sent Nathan the prophet to David, and he um, he confronted David. David said, "I have sinned against the Lord." Excellent, excellent confession. In Psalm fifty-one, um, he said, "Against you, you only have I sinned." David knew that his offense had brought grief. And brought anger to the Lord. He was on good footing. Confession also involves taking sides against myself, taking God's side against myself. And, uh, Simon could have phrased it this way Did I think that God, the gift of God could be purchased with money? Yes, I did, and I was wrong. Is my heart not right in the sight of God, but far from where it should be? Yes. It is. Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Am I hopelessly poisoned by evil and bound by iniquity? Yes, I confess that. And it's only by God's grace that I'm going to be able to get out of this. Here's confession. Here's repentance. But not from Simon. Simon expressed no regret, no shame. Listen to his words again. Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Let me rephrase Simon's response. It's okay. Just pray that I don't die. All these things you've told me, Peter, it's okay. It's alright. Just don't let me die. You see, uh, I have seen or I've heard of uh, Ananias and Sapphira when they, uh, when they lied to the Lord, the Lord killed them. Don't let that happen. Just let me live. What is the difference between the false repentance of Simon and real repentance God wanted in Simon? I believe there are two things. Uh, first of all, there's a struggle with sin. Real repentance agonizes over the source of sin and wonders how the Lord could love a sinner condemned, unclean. False repentance is sorry for the consequences of sin and the pain of judgment. And it focuses on how to get out of that, how to get free from righteous judgment. Once freed, the one who is falsely repentant returns to its old lifestyle like a dog returns to his vomit or a clean pig returns to its mire Second thing in true repentance, I believe, is reliance on a mediator. Godly sorrow finds relief in a mediator, one who is able to bring his sins before the Lord, before God the Judge, and have, them have the cause of the offense dealt with, the cause of His offense. This mediator, of course, is the Lord Jesus and the sinner truly repentant, finds his refuge in the Lord Jesus. He is a lover of sinners and yet a hater of sin and able to deal with that sin entirely, totally through his blood. Once a person comes to Jesus, he still struggles with sin. But he finds that the mediator is also an advocate and that when he fails god makes full provision for a victory over sin but when the when the believer fails he finds that he has an advocate who takes his case to the father and pleads for him for strength for forgiveness so that brings us to the question do you struggle do you struggle with sin the story was told of um uh a man, a rich man, years ago, and his uh, servant. They were going duck hunting, and uh, uh, they were out in the carriage, and um, the wheel broke, and so the servant was down there repairing the wheel, and he hit his thumb, and he, he let out a stream of profanity, and uh, he got down on his knees. He was a believer. He, he said, "Lord, uh, I have sinned against you. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I I'm defiling." Uh, your your ears, you shouldn't be hearing this. And the rich man looked at, down from the carriage. He said, He said, uh, Why do you struggle? Why I'm an atheist and I don't I don't go through this uh, this pain, this struggle. Just then, a couple of ducks flew overhead, and the uh, the rich man um, shot them both. <clears throat> and the servant started out for the dead one, and he said, No, he said, Go after the go after the live one. And uh, he saw the the duck fluttering on the ground, and the, the servant said, uh, "Wait a minute, boss." He said, "I've got an answer for you." He said, um, "I know now why I struggle, because I'm alive." He said, "You don't struggle because you're dead. You're spiritually dead. And so it's good. Struggle is good. As uh, as sinners, we um, struggle brings us to uh, to the one who can help." Mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our Advocate. Simons was not a true repentance. His testimony sounded good enough, but his life proved otherwise. If you haven't already, I pray that you would come to Jesus <clears throat> not merely as, a, as an escape from righteous judgment, but because... He will put away the sins that are so offensive to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the example of Simon and the ability to draw a line between true and false repentance. I pray that uh, those here, anyone here who does not know You, perhaps uh, has repented in a superficial way, Um, being sorry for um, uh, the prospect of of pain, um, being sorry for uh, judgment and for the consequences of a sin, I pray that that person would come to you realizing that it's not just about pain, not just about suffering, but about offensiveness to you. Thank you that you are a holy God. Thank you that you do not uh, sell your benefits, but you offer them freely, freely, Salvation free through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in His name. Amen.